Marplin, uh, the, the murder at the vicarage. I started reading and I, I fell in love with it. So uh, I was hooked. So I read all her Agatha Christie books. And uh, then I went down to the local library and uh, started working my way through theirs as well. That's really fun. I love yeah, Margaret that, that Rutherford. I know that she wasn't the perfect Miss Marple, but I thought I still think it's so much fun to watch the Margaret Rutherford Miss Marple movies. Yeah, yes, <laughs> they, they they were done as as fun entertainment. Um, you know, it's not Citizen Kane, but but you know, certainly at that age in the 1960s, I I uh, really really loved it, and um, and it it was enough to. Uh, 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 lead me into the life that I've uh, been living for many years as a, as a crime reader and fan and also as a crime writer of uh, fiction and non-fiction so I owe, uh, I owe that film a lot and I, I guess Christy a lot that's for sure I, I have, it was sort of similar Not, I didn't go to a big fancy premiere or anything but we went, the first movie that was an Agatha Christie I went to was Evil Under the Sun uh, the one with Peter Ustinov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember that well. Good oh, film. oh, it was such a. Uh, it was like, oh my God, there's all these movie stars in it. It was it and it had Cole Porter music and it, it just it was just magical to me. So yeah, I I I got the book. And, well, actually, my father's the type of person when he sees you're interested in something, gets you a stack of books with that person. Mm-hmm. So I get me a stack of Perot books. <laughs> Right, excellent, excellent. Well, it's it's a good it's it's a good book. It's a very good book, and it's a it's a pretty good film. Uh, I think it's Anthony Schaffer, uh, a very good playwright who mm-hmm. wrote the screenplay, um, and I think that uh, that helped to make it uh, such a success. Oh, it was so much fun! I I still I still love it. Um, mm. I, I mean, I know I love David Suchet's. I think that's fun. Uh, the latest one. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a great actor. I'm not. T- mm-hmm. He is a brilliant actor and a director. He just won an Oscar. He's mm-hmm. brilliant, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just not. That was n- not my. Um, that was not my Perot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I, uh, I I rather agree with that. I'm I'm a, I'm a great David Suchet fan. I think he he was. Uh, he was absolutely brilliant in that part, um, and of course he did it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he spent many years playing Poirot, and and, and I, I think he did a great job. So, uh, but he's he's definitely my favourite Hercule Poirot on the screen, uh, for sure. Isn't he the only one who's done an entire canon? I mean, even uh, Joan. Uh, Hickson did not do all of the Miss Marples, but David did all of the prose, right? Um, I, I, I don't know precisely, but I, I would imagine he, he either did all of them or um, the vast majority. He certainly, I think, I think he probably did all the novels. And, and I doubt he did all the short stories. Um, the Labours of Hercules, which is a book of short stories, I'm not sure he did all those. Um, but of course, there were many more. Ecuparo stories than there were uh, uh, Miss Marple stories, so that's that's one of the reasons, I guess. Yeah. Did you, okay? Now this is my confession. I love mysteries, but um, the mysteries I knew were Sherlock Holmes, Miss mm-hmm. Marple, Perot, well the Agatha Christie's, Dorothy Sayers, Ellery Queen, and. Mm-hmm. Um, Raymond Chandler and um, Dashiell Hammett. Those were it. So late, recently, after the pandemic, which I read every Agatha Christie I owned all over again, <laughs> yeah, uh, because yeah. it just made me feel better. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I decided that I wanted to stretch my muscles, and I discovered an entire world of that I've never heard of. Um, and I've been reading Niall Marsh and Josephine Tay and um, Anthony Barclay. And I'm just like, yeah. it's like, it's like opened a whole different thing. I, it's right. not, yeah. at, at my time of life, it's a little weird, but that's... 
Well, you know, it's, uh, at any time of life, you can always uh, expand your uh, taste, your reading, discover new things. I think it's great that you've, you've done that, and you mentioned Anthony Barclay, mm-hmm. who's definitely one of my favourites. Uh, uh, a very interesting writer, a very interesting man in many ways, a strange man, but uh, a very gifted writer, uh, writer of both detective stories of great quality and uh, psychological suspense novels and the pen name of uh, Francis Isle. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a great uh, Anthony Barclay fan. I've only read one, the, the Layman, the Layman something. Late in Court Mystery? That's it, the Late in Court Mystery. Yeah, yeah. Well that, well, that was the very first one, uh, sort of classic country house mystery with a, uh, a pretty ingenious twist. And uh, he, he developed, he only had a relatively short career uh, with that detective, that the, the detective is uh, Roger Sheringham, mm-hmm. as you probably remember, mm-hmm. um, and and the, the yeah, I think probably the Sheringham books only lasted about ten or twelve years, but there's some very very interesting ones, including one of my all-time favourites, which is the Poison Chocolates case, which is uh, uh, a book that Agatha Christie herself greatly admired, and and she she knew Anthony Barker and greatly admired him too. So I, that's one I strongly recommend. I want to read that one. I haven't been able to find it yet, but I have I have a really good um, used bookstore. So I got I've got about five Naya Marshes. I got two Tays. I got oh, and I forgot ECR Lorik. That I cannot find. Mm-hmm. I have to get Kindle of it because I cannot find those books anywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, well, Lorik is another that. Um, I'm, I'm interested in have been for a long time because my parents were big fans of, of Lorac uh, which was one of the, the main pen names of a, a writer called Caroline Rivet and uh, she died in the late 1950s and was out of print for many years but um, we've been able to bring them back in the British Library Crime Classic series which I'm the consultant to and it's been fascinating to see how popular those books have been um, and they've, they've sold in very large numbers and they've also been very popular in the States uh, I think it's true to say so uh, so bringing Lorat back has been uh, quite a wonderful experience and uh, seeing seeing some of the titles back in print has been uh, quite exciting for me given that uh, I remember when I was pretty young my parents telling me about those, uh, those stories which they, they, they did love, really love I, I, I'd never heard of her. Well, I haven't heard a lot of them. But um, I read Fell Murder, and I'm reading Death Came Softly now. Hmm. Yeah, well, well, she was pretty obscure. I think she was out of print, even in Britain, for uh, more than 50 years. Um, so uh, so she'd really fallen by the wayside. And I think it's, it's a really good example, Sherry, of the way that um, good writers can easily disappear. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it happens a lot. And of course, books go out of print and they stay out of print. Uh, of course, what's changed, uh, one, at least one of the things that's changed, is uh, digital publishing, so e-books. It's cheaper to produce books now, so um, so it's not such a big investment for a publisher to bring a, uh, a, a book back into print. And that's that's opened up a whole new range of possibilities. Um, the British Library has done very, very successfully here and in the States and, and, and elsewhere, and so have a number of other publishers in, you know, following in, in, in their wake. And uh, as a result, readers can uh, now lay their hands pretty easily on a whole raft of books that simply weren't to be found at affordable prices anyway for a very, very long time. Um. I think it's really cool that you can get all these books, um, and it, it's it's like it's sort of like a treasure hunt because yeah. you you go to bookstores and you and you look online, you look on eBay and Abe and all the different kind of places that you can buy books, and you're trying to find the one that's in good condition and it's a mm. price you can afford and everything. So it's a treasure hunt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's exactly right. And of course, it it has got easier to pursue the treasure hunt, hasn't it? Because of the internet and yeah. because of things like e-books and eBay and so on. So books that were simply uh, undiscoverable um, in in uh, 
many parts of the world. You know, you know now with uh, uh, technology, you can you can track them down all over the place. And that's that's really good. That's really exciting. I think. It is exciting. It's, well, if you're a reader, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, mean, it, 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 it is. There's there's books that I hunted before the internet because my mom and dad used to talk about them, and I love old movies. So my parents always told us, oh, that that's from a book series. So then I mm-hmm. I would go hunting for the books, like. One of them yeah. was the um, uh, um, what's the name of them? Uh, Topper, Topper movies. Um, uh-huh. I loved the first one with Cary Grant and everything. And but it was it, they were out of print. You couldn't find them. Uh-huh. Um, so I was looking every. I was back then. You could go to a garage sale. <laughs> they don't have books at garage uh-huh. sales now, but they used to. Um, uh-huh. But then when it's like on television, there was a TV series in the States uh, in the 70s, and all of a sudden they print the books. It's the weirdest yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, TV makes a big difference, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, because uh, that's what, when you were saying that, I was thinking, it made me remember mm-hmm. that all of a sudden mm-hmm. it became available. I was hunting for it everywhere, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and then one day I went to the bookstore, and there they all were. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that sense of discovery is is always exciting. Um, I think it's uh, you know you never lose that, that excitement of discovering something you've you've hoped to find for a long time. Yeah. Um, I want it. You're you're the president of Detection Club, which is a really cool thing. Yeah. How did that come yeah. about? I mean, I mean, first, how did you become a member of the Detection Club? I know you have to be invited. And then, how did you become the yeah. president? <laughs> Well, um, uh, hard to say, really. I mean, I, I became a member in 2008. I, I, I got a letter out of the blue, um, came home one night, found a letter inviting me, telling me I'd be, been elected. I was very, very happy about that because I'd, I'd heard of the Detection Club. And for any of your listeners who, who don't know about it, um, the Detection Club is the oldest social network of crime writers anywhere in the world. It was formed in 1930 by Anthony Barclay, who we were talking about a minute or two ago, and the early members included uh, Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers, G.K. Chesterton was the first president, the creator of Father Brown, and really it was a kind of elite organisation, very small, uh, with only 20-odd members during the 1930s, but it, it became very prestigious. Uh, there was no American equivalent, um, but those writers were trying to raise the standards of detective fiction, and uh, they were pretty successful at so doing. And the Detection Club has continued ever since, so uh, so it's 92 years old now, um, which is which is quite remarkable. It's, it's survived all that time. It's still a very small dining club, about 60 members, something like that. Uh, and we have um, typically three meals a year. Um, w- one of them uh, in a London club, the Garrick. Um, one of them, the past couple of years, we've had lunches for the first time. We've gone out of London to Balliol College, Oxford, the, the uh, old college of Lord Peter no, Wimsey. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah, the college has a picture of Wimsey buttery really uh, that's, that's, yeah that's, that is that's cool <laughs> yeah it is it is it's, it's a wonderful place um and uh, we have our autumn dinner uh and that's at the ritz at the moment and we're due to have that uh, later this month later in, in october so we're looking forward to that at the moment so with 16 members that's more of like a banquet than a dinner right yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. They, they don't all uh, show up for every meal. So, uh, uh, but you you might get sometimes fifty people, but but that would include guests because guests can be invited along. And we have uh, at, at the big dinner there is a guest speaker uh, who's who's invited to speak for a short time after the dinner, uh, and that dinner is when the new members are um, are uh, admitted 
to, to membership. Um, and it's really a lot of fun. It's very, very convivial. Uh, there are some wonderful writers who are members, some, some wonderful people. So it's a it's great uh, pleasure, but it's also a great honour to be to be the president. And I'm I'm actually the eighth president in 92 years. Wow! Uh, it was Ch- Chesterton <laughs> and Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers. So, um, so I feel very flattered to be in that company, really. Yeah, it's amazing company. My gosh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's fabulous, and yeah, I, I really enjoy it. The, the dinners are very uh, convivial, uh, and the wine flows, uh, and the conversation flows. So, so it's great fun. So, um, uh, you, you know, you, you asked, how did I get elected? The, the, the idea, although it's it's very. Uh, uh, difficult to say this, but, but the idea is for uh, writers who've achieved a certain level of uh, uh, quality in, in the writing. I suppose that's the uh, the criterion. But of course, it's it's a small club, so you know there will always be a lot of good writers who aren't members. That's that's the nature of it. Um, and then I I I've been involved with the Crime Writers Association which is a much bigger organisation. I was the uh, uh, chair of that for a couple of years, and I was asked um, back in 2015 to become the president of the Detection Club. So um, so having been elected, um, that's, uh, that's what I'm still doing now, which is, what, seven years, seven years later, which, is, um, which has been, you know, as I say, not just a great privilege, but uh, a lot of fun as well. Oh, I bet it's fun, yeah. Just yeah, just yeah. The, the joy of talking to all the other mm-hmm. people that are writers mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, 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 absolutely, it's uh, it's great. So, so I really look forward to the uh, uh, to meals and meeting up with people, uh, meeting up with old friends, at, uh, and and meeting the guests. So so new people come along every time. That uh, that's great as well. Now I heard a secret that Eric is actually Erica. Is that true? <laughs> this is this is Eric the Skull, uh, which is uh, featured in the uh, initiation ceremony for new members for uh, well, re- really since the very early days of the club. Uh, well, the short answer is I don't know. <laughs> so uh, uh, who, who knows? That that's a story I've heard, but. Uh, but uh, it's impossible for me to tell. So uh, uh, the, the the club ha- has these traditions. There's there's a certain mystique about it, uh, and a, a certain mythology about it. You know, there's there's a, a story that you, you often see in print that Agatha Christie was threatened with expulsion from the detection club for writing the murder of Roger Ackroyd because the solution was perceived to be unfair. But but that can't be true because murder of Roger Ackroyd was published several years before the detection club was founded. Yeah, so, I was going to uh, ask you. So, so that's really not, not uh, true. It's, it's, uh, it's a legend. But, it's, it's one of these things you do read uh, from time to time in, in articles and books and so on. But um, So there, there's a certain degree of mythology that surrounds the detection club. Perhaps uh, mainly because it's it's been in existence for so long. Uh, say 92 years is a very long time for such a small, tiny, tiny little organization. So it's a, it's a miracle in a way that it's still going. Um, I actually own a couple. The books that the Detection Club puts out. Do you still you guys still mm. do that? Do you still put the book out to make you know so you have a little extra money for the club and stuff? Yeah, that yeah, absolutely. We've we've done um, a couple. Um, in in my time as president, the first one uh, was uh, a book of short stories, uh, and then the uh, other one was a book called How Done It, and that book uh, was actually nominated for an Edgar by the uh, Mr. Writers of, of America, which was rather wonderful, and it, it, it won won the award in Britain and was nominated for other prizes as well. And How Done It is a book about the craft of crime writing and the nature of the crime writing life and my idea was a book that would celebrate the 90th birthday of the club in 2020 of course what I didn't anticipate was that there would be a pandemic so we never got to have a launch of the book in person but uh, 
but nevertheless the book was produced and pretty much every member of the club contributed an essay and the estate agents families of certain of the deceased members including Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers agreed that we could use uh, uh, material written by them as well so you finish up with with a pretty large book covering all aspects of writing crime from uh, you know where do you find your ideas that old uh, question to uh, do you need to plan it in advance do you uh, fly by the seat of your pants do you uh, how do you build suspense um, what about use of humor what about dialogue what about uh, setting description use of place how do you develop characters all that kind of thing but but also things about the challenges of writing such as how to cope with writer's block is there such a thing as writer's block um so the different um members of the detection club took uh, uh took these different subjects i i uh made some suggestions to them but i didn't try to um impose rules on them uh, because I, I felt that one of the attractive features of the book uh, would would be its its diversity and the diversity of 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 opinion and the different approaches that different very successful writers uh, adopt to their to their craft I thought that was part of the joy of it is part of the interest for anybody who wants to write crime to see different ideas swirling around um, from section to section within the book um, and so that was the concept the the members delivered some brilliant 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 pieces uh, I was absolutely uh, bowled over by by what they contributed uh, and it was a great pleasure to put put it all together to link the different pieces together to to develop a structure around the individual contributions and and also to to pick up as i say some some material from uh, former deceased members of, of the club and, and and weave that in as well uh so so it's pretty ambitious project i i, I didn't anticipate it would be quite as uh, massive a, a, a book or a project as it turned out to be I thought yeah maybe I'll get 12 or 15 or 20 people um, to to contribute because you know these are all very busy people mm -hmm. like Ian Rankin and John Le Carre and uh, Val McDermott Alexander McCall Smith uh, Peter James Peter Robinson uh, uh, and, and many others but 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 you know they they responded brilliantly uh, and and the result was that I had this this treasure trove of material uh, and it was uh, it was an absolute uh, delight and it was also wonderful to see how how enthusiastic the different members were to support the club because none of them got paid a penny mm -hmm. uh, for, for what they did uh, they, they did it to support the club as, as, as you rightly say so so that was fascinating and, and the book you know it's a book I'm very proud of uh, as as editor, uh, and I, I think that um, the reaction we've had from um, people interested in crime fiction, uh, many of them people who want to write crime fiction, but also people who are just interested in the process of of writing uh, and interested in the nature of uh, the writing life and so on. The reaction has been phenomenal, so that's uh, that's been you know really really gratifying, I must say. I, this is going to be a weird question, but I'm just curious. Um, is there like an age you have to be to be in a detection club? I mean, is it uh, is no, is it no, just no, no. is young people you know that have been writing all their lives? Do they get in? <laughs> well, it, I, I think it's fair to say that the membership is uh, tends towards the uh, uh, the older. Uh, end of the spectrum uh, because of this idea that, that it will be established writers, people who've got a very uh, formidable track record. Um, and of course, there is the uh, uh, Crime Writers Association, which is a much bigger organisation, and that's the professional organisation. That's, uh, you know, if you're a young writer, you're interested uh, in marketing your books and that sort of thing, promoting books uh, and the detection club isn't really about promotion of of its members it's 
house. It's more about um, having a, a social get together over a, over a nice meal in a pleasant venue. So, so it's not a marketing exercise. It's uh, it's not a promotional thing. It's uh, it's something where where people very often people who've known each other for quite a long time get together and um, and have a good time. Um, I'm going to switch subjects a little bit. I wanted to find out, you have a lot of books. You have a lot of stuff that you've written. If, if you were going to advise someone where to start in your massive <laughs> canon, where would you, uh, fictional, like one fictional book and one non-fictional, which is a good starting place for for somebody? <laughs> right. Well, um, I've, I've published 21 novels. Um, uh, which which is a you know a decent number, although it's not a huge number compared to compared to some people. Um, I'm, I'm not a very actually a very fast novel novelist. Um, you know, I take a lot of time writing the novels. That's that's 21 novels over a period of over 30 years. Um, so um, uh, and they fall into three series. Plus, there are also a couple of standalone. The first series is set in Liverpool with a solicitor called Harry Devlin, lawyer Harry Devlin, and those were my first books. Uh, and that was an attempt to blend, blend um, a sort of gritty urban contemporary setting with, uh, with classic golden age ingenious plots. That was, that was the idea of, of that series. And, um, and those books are great fun to write. And maybe one day I'll go back to Harry. And then the second series is set in the Lake District, so so this is a rural uh, series, quite different in mood and atmosphere, um, and it's about a relationship between a, a Hannah, who is a cold case cop, she's she's in charge of the cold case team in the Lake District, beautiful part of Northwest England, uh, about an hour's drive from where I live, and uh, Daniel. Uh, who's a historian who relocates to the Lake District at the start of the series in the first book, which is called The Coffin Trail. Uh, the first book in the Harry Devlin series is called All the Lonely People, um, after the Beatles song, uh, Alvin Rigby. Okay. Uh, so, and all the Harry Devlin books take titles from 1960s pop music, uh, which I'm, I'm a big fan of. So, so those are my first two series, and most recently I've written a series set in the 1930s, uh, which uh, has a character called Rachel Savonake, and the first one of those was called Gallows Court, and that was probably my most successful book uh, uh, up to that point. Uh, so if you like 1930s uh uh, books. It's it's quite different from my other books. It's actually even quite different from the later Rachel Savonet books. But that's that's one that has enjoyed a, a lot of success in in this country and in the states and and in other countries in translation as well. So so if you're interested in 1930s type type stories with the golden age element, but a but a kind of darker psychological. Uh, uh, side to them as well, and then that might be a good place to start. And uh, since since I published that book, um, I've written another one called Mortmain Hall, and I've just published in the UK. It's not out in the states yet, but the third book is called Blackstone Fell, and I'm just working on the fourth book at the moment. So, uh, so that's a, a series that I've uh, written most recently. Um, there are three at the moment. Uh, that have been published and of the Lake District series there are eight and the most recent book um, was published earlier this year in the States it was published last year in in Britain uh, in Britain it's called The Crooked Shore and in uh, America it's called The Girl They All Forgot but it's, it's the same book just with a different uh, title and that's the eighth case uh, involving Hannah Scarlett and Daniel Kind so so I'm writing those two series uh, in tandem at the moment and um, that kind of variety does appeal to me a lot as a writer I think it's I always think it's interesting that um they always have different titles for the UK audience and the US audience. I just like 
<laughs> I don't get it. I, I'm just, it's, no, it, it's no, I'm, confusing. I'm puzzled myself. And, and, and really, the, um, the girl they all forgot is the first time it's happened to me um, until then. The titles had always been the same, but the uh, but the American publishers decided mm -hmm. that um, that was uh, the title they wanted to go with. So um, uh, so so that's that's the reason why it uh, it came out under that under that title. It's um, I remember that like it's even Harry Potter the first book they changed the name. It just just weird. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, because yeah, um, I think in the UK it was Philosopher's Stone, and here it was the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, right. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't pretend to understand it, but then the, the mysteries of the publishing world are <laughs> as baffling as anything you find in Agatha Christie, I, I, I would guess. Yeah, it's a deep, dark mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and your um, your fic your nonfiction books, which which ones would you recommend to somebody who's just stumbling and finding you? Yes, yes. Well, um, I, I wrote a book called The Golden Age of Murder, which is about the 1930s uh, uh, and the early days of the Detection Club, and that that was really a, a book that um, really much to my surprise as well as my pleasure did, did extremely well uh, but the the most recent book is one I'm, I'm especially proud of uh, it's called um, The Life of Crime and this is a book which is um, the history of crime fiction um, across time and across across the world really including uh, you know bits about radio TV film um, theatre and, and so on so it's a it was a very ambitious project um, it, it took me uh, uh, quite quite a number of years to write, probably about seven years to write, and, uh, and more time thinking about it before I even started writing. But um, I've been absolutely thrilled by the reaction to it. It, it was published uh, in May this year in Britain, and then in September in the States, and you know it's, it's had fantastic reviews and fantastic sales, which uh, for for such a big big book is, um, is is enormously gratifying so it's you know, it's being reprinted in the states i think even even as we speak so so the life of crime if you're interested in the history of crime that might be one that um, you you might find uh, appealing and it, the idea of that book is to tell the story of how crime fiction has evolved through the years but to tell it um, really by by looking at the lives of some of the more influential crime writers and using uh, the, their stories as, as a starting point. And, and I didn't want to write a dull uh, uh, academic uh, tome, so, so I wanted to bring it to life, and that was the way I've, I've tried to do that. And tried, as with The Golden Age of Murder, to use the techniques of a novelist in telling the story so that there's uh, uh, a bit of suspense, a, a bit of uh, plot development as, as the book goes along. And also to include um, lots of ideas and suggestions and anecdotes, trivia in, in the chapter end notes, which are very, very extensive, particularly in the life of crime. Uh, but I think that's important. Very, it's a very important element to the book. And uh, the, the idea of that was that there's a lot of material, of course, when you're talking about the history of a whole genre, particularly a genre as uh, massive uh, as crime fiction. So not all of that material fits neatly into some sort of chronological framework. So the, the end notes take you in a whole range of different directions. <laughs> you can read them quite independently of the uh, of, of the main chapters if, if you want to do so, and you could refer back to them. I felt it was very important to have good indexes so an indexer produced three different indexes for the book so that you can you can pick out uh, particular topics of interest if, if that's what you want to do or you can read it um, from start to finish or you can read the the main chapters and then go back to the end notes so there are a number of different ways people have told me that they, they've been reading the book and I did try to design it so that um, it would cater for a number of different types of 
uh, approach to reading, if you like. Uh, that was the that was the idea, and I, I've been very pleased with uh, with the way that people have have responded to that and said said they they found it uh, uh, not just informative, which obviously is is important, but but also entertaining and you know funny uh, at times. Yeah, it's, um, it's important to have humour. So um, so that really is a book I'm I'm very proud of. Um, it's a book I put an awful lot of uh, work into, and um, uh, it is a large book, uh, that's for sure. But uh, but it's a book that uh, that does mean a great deal to me, and I've been absolutely thrilled with the reception it's received. I find it fascinating when I read about mystery writers how many real crime situ- real crimes are put into their mysteries hidden and or inspired I guess you could say. Oh um, yes, that's that's right and that is a topic that interests me too uh, very much and it it's something that's a big feature of the golden age of murder and to um some extent in the life of crime but it's uh, it, it is something that's very interesting to see how how crime writers take real life situations and then you know through the magic the alchemy of fiction turn them into uh, a great story and, and it's it's funny because um when you're you're an american and you're reading like agatha christie or dorothy sayers or somebody like that and they mention people like crippen at, at mm-hmm. Long before my time, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had uh, the first time. Uh, I think it was a Miss Marple short story. She mentioned uh, Crippen, and I'm like, "Who's Crippen?" Uh, <laughs> I had no idea yeah, what well, she was talking about. <laughs> well, that's that's right, and, and actually, Crippen. Uh, uh, now you come to mention it, is actually. Um, uh, uh, the subject of, of, of a novel I wrote, which isn't in a series. It's a book called Dancing for the Hangman, and it's really the story of Dr. Crippen, but told from his point of view. That was my idea. It's it's not, not one of my uh, better-known books, um, but it's a book, book that I really loved writing. Um, it got, got very good reviews, but it was published by two small presses here and in the States, so it, it probably didn't get as much attention uh, from the bookshops as, as it might have done, as I might have hoped. But it's it's a book I'm I'm very very happy to have written, and I've, I've always been pleased by the way that that people responded to it. And I think part of that is because the the Crippen case is is really so inherently fascinating. Yeah, I mean now I know what it is, but I mean I was about. 12 when I read it, so I had no idea. I actually went to my parents and said, who's Crippen? (laughs) (laughs) But they both knew who it was, so it was cool. They explained it, you know, because they're both readers. But it was just, you know, because it's thrown out there like everybody knows. And I know when she, when, like, Dorothy or, or Agatha wrote it, everybody did know, but Yes, exactly, and it was a huge story. It was a, an international sensation. But uh, but as as you say, you know, we're going back to 1912, uh, I think, with Crippen. So it's a very very long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, very long time ago. But but still a great story. Oh yeah. Um, and still still fascinating. Yeah, I love how the detective caught him. It just <laughs> yeah chased him across the Atlantic. They chased uh, him on a faster ship. Yeah. <laughs> like a car chase but it was was uh yeah. steam liners <laughs> yeah exactly it's, uh, it's brilliant and the the newspapers actually carried charts showing the respective positions of the two ships as they went across the atlantic and so everybody was following this the only person who didn't know what was going on was Crippen himself yeah he was totally unaware of it which is amazing but even though there was wireless and stuff like that back then yeah. they didn't have like radio on the ship like they do like they did later well well not in the same way so so they had the 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 wireless telegraph which is how captain kendall got the message back to scotland yard that he, he thought he'd identified Crippen 
who was on board under an assumed name, he's calling himself Robinson, and he had his uh, his girlfriend, Ethel and Eve, who was disguised as a boy, as his son, mm-hmm. uh, a rather unlikely uh, masquerade, to be perfectly honest. And Captain Kendall uh, figured out who they were, and he sent the the uh, uh, Marconi uh, message back. But, but, of course, this was not available to the passengers. So Crippen was totally unaware of what was going on. Which is a very good thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was how many Golden Age writers were also playwrights? There's so many. Yeah. Yes, well, well, Christie is an obvious example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, uh, of course, we think of her as a crime novelist, but she's actually the most su- commercially successful female playwright of all time. I know, isn't that is cool? Quite <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it it absolutely is, um, and it, that's absolutely true. Uh, so, so she was a playwright. Joseph, you mentioned Josephine Taylor. Mm-hmm. She she first came to fame really as a playwright writing under the name of Gordon Daviot. She was better known for her plays than she was for her novels for a while. And her play um, made somebody then, I love famous, John Gilgood. <laughs> yes, exactly. Richard Richard of Bordeaux was the was the play that made his name mm-hmm. written written by um uh, Gordon Daviot. Uh so uh, and Daviot is actually a little little place near Inverness, which is where she was born. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's where the name came from. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, Dorothy Sayers, so, so Busman's Holiday? Busman's Honeymoon, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, Busman's that, Honeymoon. That began as a play before it, it was, she turned it into a novel. Right. Uh, but it, you're absolutely right, it began life as a play. Um, so she experimented with the theatre, and later she she did a lot of uh, radio plays in particular and was very, very successful with that as well. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And, 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 um, and Niall Marsh, she was the playwright. Yes, yeah, she, she, she did. Well, and, and also, of course, she was a, a theatre director. And she, in her native New Zealand, she was better known uh, for her theatrical work. And she was very devoted to the theatre. She she wrote a bit of crime for the theatre, but, but I think her main uh, focus was on directing. Uh, and that was something that she uh, she absolutely adored doing, uh, and and she prioritised it uh, to some extent over writing the detective novels. Although it's as a detective novelist that she's better remembered. She actually popped up on a show I loved. Uh, I, they they just started showing My Life Is Murder in the United States, and mm-hmm. in the second episode, uh, Niall Marsh's one of her books was a clue. For the mur- oh, to right. catch the murderer. Right, that's interesting. Yes, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, it's a fun show. It's 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 right. um, a female. It's Lucy Lawless from Xena and stuff. She's playing sort of a female Columbo. <laughs> right, right, interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and it's on the third. Se- it started in Australia, but then the pandemic hit, and she couldn't get out of New Zealand, so they moved it to New Zealand. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah, they're on the third season. But, yeah, I just thought, I was like, oh, my God, Niall Marsh is following me everywhere. She's even in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Golden Age Detective Fiction strikes back. Yeah, it was really funny. Um, we're coming to the end. Uh, do you have a new book uh, that's coming out or anything um, that's happening that you want to, you know, let people know about? Well, I, I have one or two projects I can't talk about at the moment, but uh, as I say, the, the most recent books in terms of fiction in the state, it's The Girl They All Forgot, which is uh, a book that's done very well here in, in the UK, and I hope, hope it will in the States. It's, uh, it's a book I'm very pleased with. You know, some, some books uh, uh, you write don't quite do what you hope they would do, but, but that one I'm, I'm very, very happy with. And then, as I say, there's The Life of Crime, which is the history of crime fiction. Um, and uh, that really was a labor of love. And uh, the the response it's had here and, and in the States has been absolutely wonderful. So I'm, uh, I'm in a very happy frame of mind at the moment about, uh, about both of them, really. 
And the show's international, so if you have like a seminar or any kind of web um, web event or anything like that that you want to let people know about, maybe well, next thank, month. Thank you, Sherry. Well, well, um, if if anyone wants to have a look at my website, you can find it uh, martinedwardsbooks.com. And also, I've I've worked on a very thorough online crime writing course called Crafting Crime, and that's that's in partnership with uh, an editorial consultancy so you can do the course and then if, uh, if if you've written some material you can submit it for a professional critique so crafting crime is something that uh, we put together during the pandemic because there's online uh, demand for it and that's been going very well so far so so i hope that anybody in crime writers will will take a look at the website and if if uh, uh, you feel it appeals to you, then then you find that uh, not only are there a lot of uh, 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 podcasts on it, a uh, dozen podcasts, there's a lot of written material, a lot of uh, 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 examples, things that you can follow, but there are also many tips from writers all over the world whom I contacted and who were very generous in, in giving their own thoughts. So it's not just me, uh, it's a whole range of fantastic writers from across the world as I say so uh, so crafting crime is, is definitely something I'm, uh, I'm very happy to be involved in cool um, and also so people can say hi to you uh, can you list your social media and maybe your handles on the social media yes well thank you uh, on Twitter I'm M Edwards books uh, on uh, Facebook uh, my author page is uh, Martin Edwards Books, um, and I have a blog which is uh, this week celebrates 15 years of of the blog. It's been running that long. It's wow. been great fun, still is. And that blog is called "Do You Write on Your Own Name?" So it's a question I'm often asked because it's a very polite English way of saying I've never heard of you. <laughs> so, so I thought that was a good title for the blog, uh, and I started in. Uh, uh, 2007 and it's still going strong after well more than 3,000 posts later so uh, you know, best part of 3 million page views later it's, uh, it's, it's been it's been great and it's been a great way of interacting with people both uh, 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 getting to know people but uh, personally but but also people across uh, across the world and uh, online and that's that's been um, enormous uh, enormous fun I must say still is that's so cool. Um, well, I want to thank you, Martin, for taking time out of your day. I know you're a busy guy to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Sherry. It's been really enjoyable, and uh, I, I really appreciate the invitation to take part in this uh, this lovely podcast. Thank you, and thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs> question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver i kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out chumba casino at chumbacasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus